Hi, Flamethrowers. Lindsay here. Um, I'm so excited that this week's episode you're going to be hearing was actually a live show that we performed in Portland, Oregon on Saturday afternoon. It was myself, Amira, and Brenda. The show was part of the ISC conference. ISC is the Independent Supporters Council, which was founded in 2009 to advocate for the fair treatment of home and away supporters and promote supporters' culture in soccer. This conference was attended mainly by representatives from supporters' groups in the MLS and in WSL. A few things I just want to mention before. First of all, we did get breaking news about Washington Spirit ownership in the middle of the burn pile during this episode. We knew that there was a meeting where there was going to be a vote uh, happening um, by the NWSL Board of Governors, and it, um, it was possible that we know whether or not Michelle King the path was cleared for her to get ownership of the Washington spirit. Uh, we knew it was a slight possibility it would break in the middle of the show. Um, we also knew that if it did with this group, <laughs> there was going to need to be an instant reaction. So just enjoy, enjoy the, uh, the liveness of the show for that. Um, also the recording for whatever reason, technology didn't pick up the first like couple minutes of the show. So when we cut to this, it's going to be right in the middle of um, Amira introducing herself. So, you know, we'll just start in the middle of the action. Lots of energy there. Um, also, since it did cut off the intro, um, it missed me thanking the Western States Center and ISC President Bailey Brown, who were responsible for hosting us and having us as part of this event. And we're so appreciative. Um, you know, we love doing live shows. It's something we've definitely missed. And if your school or um, group or anything you're part of is interesting in hosting, burn it all down for a live show, please get in touch. Um, this was really special and I hope you all enjoy it. And what do you need to know about me? That's I'm a good. Gemini. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, and Dr. Brenda Elsie. So I'm Brenda Elsie. I'm a professor of history um, in <laughs> Latin American and history. Caribbean. I, yeah, I know. But, you know, it's like it's I'm going cool. after you. Oh, and so it's like I'm also a professor of history yeah. at uh, Hofstra University on Long Island in New York. And let's see. Um, you you heard from me this morning. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I work for FAIR as well. And I am development lead for the Americas there. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Thank Love you it. Love it. Round of applause. Um, Amir, will you get to start off with our land acknowledgement? Yes, I will. Um, usually we don't do live shows, but we love when we get to do them because we get to gather with each other and gather with you. But before we do that, we want to acknowledge the space that we're gathering on. So, of course, today we are filming this live in Portland, Oregon. Woo! Um, Portland, of course, rests on the traditional villages of the Cowlitz, the Malatma, the Cothlamet, the Clocklamost, 
the tomb water, the Tualatin Kapula, the Wasco, the Malala, the Watlala, the bands of the Chinook, and the other indigenous nations along the Big River, the Columbia River. And uh, we would be remiss without starting with that. We also want to acknowledge there are vibrant Native people still living in Portland among us today. And to be respectful of that, we want to recognize the ongoing effects of settler colonialism and genocide and relocation and assimilation and continue to work to upending those practices um, because that's the right fucking thing to do. We also want to dedicate this episode to Mauricio the most uh, from, from LAFC, a beloved supporter. Really, really miss seeing his face here. Absolutely. Um, to give you all lay, lay of the land, this is going to be a regular show. So we're releasing this as our weekly episode. So later on, we're going to do our regular burn pile, our regular torchbearer segments. They're just a warning. We will mention sports that are not soccer in those, <laughs> in those sections. Do not be alarmed. But we're going to start off focusing all on soccer. And just as to, to kind of get to know us, to get to set the stage, I want to ask my co-host a question. What is the weirdest moment you've ever experienced at a soccer game? Soccer match, excuse me. <laughs> I guess we'll start with me. The weirdest, okay, is Poncha Preta versus Corinthians um, in a, a town in Brazil. It's a city of about a million people called Campinas. And that's a big rivalry, right? Some of you know, like Dr. Socrates and stuff like that. Anyway, it was really intense. What happened? I and my friend were not wearing the right color green. We wore green. We felt like that we were safe, but it was like more teal. <laughs> and so they made us take off our shirts and they burned them and put them on a fence. And then they very nicely <laughs> gave us new shirts that were the right color <laughs> green. So it was really generous. You know, I was happy to have a tank top on um and then what ended up happening is there was a fight right near us and we had to run around the track to kind of like get away from the fighting and this is the hilarious part is that um we ended up then having to run away from the people from poncha preta because we had that green shirt <laughs> and so that is like the weirdest thing i'm a big jogger for those of you that don't know me um but i could barely make it out that's incredible I have to say, like, we, we have our little notes as we're preparing this, and it was just, Brenda's just, like, running away from fire. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, like, so excited to hear that story. Did not disappoint. And I might even be more excited to hear Mira's story. Yeah, because my note on it was Jordan Caniff's grandpa's leashed parrot. Yep, yep, is, yep. I mean, literally self-explanatory. I was at um, a Penn State soccer game, and it, there weren't fans allowed, so it was, like, just us and the families. I went um, to see my student, Sam Coffey, who, as of two weeks ago, is the newest member of the Portland Thorns. Woo! Um, it's very exciting. So I was uh, chilling in the stands, and so there's, like, not people, because it was shut down, but there was a parrot on a leash, and I kept looking like, does anybody see a parrot? Like, <laughs> it's just me. And uh, it turned out to be one of the players, Jordan Kenneth's grandfather's parrot, 
which I knew because Lindsay had educated me that parents can live for 80 fucking years. And he said the parent... Don't ask me how I know that. parent was like six months old. And I was like, you are in for a very long relationship with this parent. They had driven six hours from upstate New York with this parent in a car on a leash. I got every... I know all about this parent's life. I know all six months of that parent's life history, like all of this stuff. And I was... You know, the Penn State's mascot's a lion, but that day that parrot on a leash, which is very important, the leash is very important, became the unofficial mascot in my heart of the Penn State women's soccer game. And it was just very fucking, like, there's like, you know, I've been in some situations, like, at matches, it can be, you know, not fire, but, you know, things, but that parrot is the first thing that came to mind, because why was there a parrot? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a really, really fair question. Um, Why was there a parrot? Uh, I realize I didn't introduce myself. I'm Lindsay Gibbs. I am a sports journalist uh, focused on women's sports, um, author of a Power Plays newsletter, and I say that now because uh, I my wildest kind of moment at a soccer match it was when I was reporting. I was there reporting. It was um, in 2016 when the Washington Spirit... Um, uh, honestly, I'm completely blanking on who their opponent was right now because it was the night that uh, the owner played the anthem before Rapino, while Rapino was in the locker room. And um, I had driven there, rented a car, because I lived in the city. You have to rent a car to get out there. And I'd actually driven with my boss at Think Progress at the time, which is what I was, I was there to report for. And um, it was lightning. It was lightning. The game had been delayed hours because of lightning and rain, so we didn't even know if it was going to happen. It was just one of the weirdest experiences and then all of a sudden like they're like oh the game is going to start nobody knew when because once again it had been delayed so long for lightning and like people are leaving and then all of a sudden the anthem's playing and we're like what's going on and then they release that statement about hijacking the protest while everyone's there and the whole crowd is just freaking out and then I see Jeff Plush who is the uh the commissioner of the time and I just like run him down to get a statement and the look on his face is one I will never forget because he had no clue that they were going to do that uh that night and he was not happy and I was like how do I describe this face in a post like I've never seen anyone just like more like like it was like hashtag I did not sign up for this (laughs) like like big time (laughs) just wild um but anyways we we're gonna get get going we're gonna get going into our main segment which when we were trying to figure out what we were going to talk about today I just said let's just take what the news cycle's giving us let's dive into the state of ownership and governance in the NWSL. <laughs> Basically. We really picked a winner. Wow. That's exactly the reaction I was hoping for, you know, when I uh, when, when I was dreaming about it. But uh, I was listening to last week's episode. I wasn't on it, and Amira said, you know, here at Burn It All Down, we have a lot of questions, few answers, but plenty of rage. And so I think that's a good uh, a good way to kind of lead us into this segment. I want to start by kind of getting us all on the same page. I know you all are, um, you know, have been following all this in this room, have been following this news great, but we want to kind of set this up in case some of our listeners have been lucky enough to not (laughs) 
do not know. I'm not going to go back that far. All of this is just kind of stuff that's happened this week. This, this week, like in the past couple of weeks. So we're not even going back to the stuff that happened during the 2021 season because we would never leave. Um, but, I mean, just this week we've had, um, or maybe last week, but an ESPN article where Merritt uh, Paulson and the Thorns um, admitted that they are – not only, you know, not being transparent about the situation that's going on, not only trying to kind of um, gloss over everything, not only continuing to say that they did nothing wrong by, you know, firing Paul Riley, um, but then allowing him to keep his good reputation throughout the league and publicly uh, supporting him um, and allowing him to go on and coach at the North Carolina Courage for years, um, but that they don't essentially want to have a relationship with their dearest supporters anymore. Uh, Amira, there was a statement uh, in that piece that really stood out to me. You want to get going? Yeah. We believe the 107ist needs to be more inclusive and open to differing viewpoints from its small group of leaders. This is all such... Okay. If a relationship is one-sided and a desire to drive protest over facts and players' desires, it isn't sustainable. The statement continued to say, we've come to the conclusion that the previous frameworks for dialogue and communication is due for a refresh, and we will no longer be holding 107 meetings in their current form as we look to increase our broader communication and input loops to the entirety of the supporters groups. Hey, uh, what does this crowd feel about that? <laughs> I mean... It's just a lot of fucking words well, to do that are I love, just like, lies. He's saying like, we want you to be more inclusive to bigots. Like, we want you to be more inclusive to sexual harassment and enablers. It's like, a lot of way of saying we don't like when you ask for accountability. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's part of what's going on in, in Portland. Of course, in North Carolina, which is where I live, um, We've had the courage decide to bring Jalen Hinkle back. Um, Jalen Hinkle, uh, openly homophobic, um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's the only <laughs> kind of way to say it. Uh, talk is very proud of the fact that she believes that homophobia is a sin and does not support it to the point where she wouldn't be on the U.S. Women's National Team because of uh, when they had to wear pride jerseys. Um, the fan base when this happened uh, when the, the re-signing was announced, um, was very, very unhappy. And we've gotten a couple of statements from the club trying to defend their, their decisions lately. Brenda. Yeah. Um, so this is from Kurt Johnson, chief soccer officer of The Courage, who told The Athletic, if anyone were to create a toxic and or harassing environment, they would not be welcome at our club. Huh. <laughs> That's really what? interesting. Yeah. And then, and then Francie Gotsigen, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and I don't care. It's okay. Um, because of what is to follow. Um, said, I don't think, this is in regard to Jalen coming back, I don't think it's caused harm to the community. Yeah. I don't think it's caused harm. Huh. I understand Jalen is a very talented player. Yeah. Well, she's a great teammate. She's been part of championship rosters, and we hope that, go that she is going to be helpful in bringing a championship back to the Courage. You know this is a new team. We're very player-focused. 
<laughs> and any decision we make is really focused on what is in the best interest of the team and supporting and embracing the LGBT community has been very important to the club. And it's going to continue to be important to the club. We're going to have Pride Night. Hmm. We're going to support... <laughs> we're going to support Pride Month. And our players are very supportive Except of that. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Except for one. Except for the one that's not. <laughs> Super supportive. So that's cool. Um, and then I don't know if you guys have heard about some stuff going on in D.C. right now. <laughs> with uh, I literally I don't I don't have a pithy quote to sum that one up. Like that's just some bullshit. Um, from head to toe, Steve Baldwin needs to sell the team. Um, Michelle, oh, I'm should have. Is it is it Kang or Kong? Kang. Kang. Okay, Kang. thank you. Making sure someone pronounced it Kong the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, have I been saying it wrong um, for the past a year? And then I did not name check. I did not check it until right now. So this is cool. Um, uh, but yeah, Michelle uh, Kang has gotten has issued enacted like basically a coup to get <laughs> enough voting interest on her side to take controlling interest. She wants to pay. $35 million to buy the club. And the Board of Governors is just kind of shrugging and just saying, well, we don't know if we can approve this. Maybe Steve Baldwin should just find another owner. We don't know. Yes, Steve Baldwin en enabled a whole lot of racism. Details. But yes, all of our players have come forward and said that they want Michelle King to be owner. Yes, we are a lead that constantly talks about not having enough money, and this person is willing to pay $10 million more than the next person. But who can say what's the right thing to do? Um, we know we might have answers to how this finished up by the time um, you know, we fin this episode comes out, possibly by the time we finish recording this episode. But I still think all of our points will stand, no matter what happens, because it should not have gotten this far. Um, and, you know, all of this is coming under a wave of new ownerships, new teams coming into the league, new investments. We've got Angel City FC. We've got Ooh. San Diego. Any San Diego? Um, you know, there's some really exciting things happening through the league. We might have the, um, you know, finally got rid of Hanson. Might have a new team in Utah, the new owner in Utah, um, whose name I have on one of these sheets, David Blitzer, uh, has said that he, you know, wants to bring back um, the NWSL team to Utah, which would be very exciting. And so it just seems that we're just at this crisis point with the league. Like, think, are, are things going to keep going forward? Can they keep going forward in this way? And what, what can we do about it? Um, I want to just start, like, when, you, when we go through this very long list of issues, Brenda, what's kind of, like, your first reaction? Like, like what have been your top-line thoughts? You can't hear my face, but I'm too jaded to be surprised. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, I feel that this is something we've all known for so long, um, but I'm glad it's getting real attention because it's been a very long time that this bullshit has been happening. And I feel like at least, you know, the issue with Michelle Kang, for example, got some decent coverage and people beyond soccer are paying attention to the ways in which these power structures are working. Yeah, Sally Jenkins of the Washington Post wrote a blazing yeah. hot fire column, yeah. and like it is good to have people like that writing columns, totally. um, calling out uh, that bullshit. Amira, 
Yeah, I mean, I think that what we see here um, is that the gap between like task force and committees and cute tweets and statements um, and like real tangible concrete action is like so fucking vast. And when um, folks are actually asking for accountability and trans uh, transparency and like time to like actually put actions and resources and reconfigurations in place, you see it all kind of fall apart and you really see it for the house of cards that many of these governance structures are. And I think that probably, you know, it, because taking those steps actually means shifting the very foundation from which current ownership structures derive power. And you know, power at the end of the day is really easy to retain if you're just like, making cute tweets and not actually, I don't know, doing anything. But they support Gay Pride Night, uh -huh. Amira. I heard, I heard. They, they're gonna and continue hashtag to love is love. It. I heard, I heard. They're gonna continue I heard to support it. I, I hashtag mean, colorblind. And listen, it was just Martin Luther King Day, so I saw all of their MLP yeah. tweets that like, will happen for sure, keep them oriented for 364 days. I've seen all of their task force committees and their announcements of another meeting to name another committee for another task force to look into. To do another investigation, uh, oh, to do another, yeah, and then Yeah, just, but at the end of the day, it's just like, I, you wanna keep your power. And I really wish sometimes, like, I don't, like that, what is that statement I read before? I wish that maybe we should just all save the time and bullshit. Just be like, I don't wanna give up power. And I'd be like, bet. Yeah. Like, then we, we won't wanna fucking meet with you, we'll move differently, but like, I'm just, it's tiring. It's and it's, tiring. it's more than that, even, it's because, when and this is something I write about a lot in Power Plays and I'm constantly talking to my readers about. Like it really does feel like the people who are in charge of women's sports aren't afraid of what happens if they fail. They're afraid of what happens if they like actually succeed, right? Like if they actually become because it shifts the very power structure that sports is is built upon, right? If the NWSL can be getting, you know, can, can be as big as the MLS, like what does that say about their choices, their lives, their investments? You know, a lot of people come into women's sports and like to have ownership of it, like to have management of it, because it makes them feel like a good person, because they are fathers of daughters, because... Uh, <laughs> they you know, and... And, and and they treat it like it's like it's a it's a charity and it's something to put on their resume to say look I'm a good person, and I see when I look at the board of governors and with what's happening with why has the obvious decision to let Michelle King buy the team like how has this not been pushed through, and I really truly think it's because it's all these owners at the table looking in their closet looking at the secrets looking at the ways they fucked up looking at their racism and their sexism and their bigotry and thinking oh could i be pushed out in the same way and yes. so we we don't want to if we let this asian woman who has the support of the players do enact this coup and take over the team like what does that say like what could happen within my club and i want to say what it says is all of your bullshit get it out of here we don't want it we don't yeah. want it yeah so like i said we're at this pivotal time because it's not all bad what's happening right like the truth is we're 10 years into this league. Like, that's an exciting moment for women's sports. That's taken a lot of blood, sweat, and 
side hustles, hashtag no more side hustles, you know, from players, um, from fans, from everyone involved. Um, and so we want to take a minute and just like acknowledge some of the good stuff that's going on and some of the stuff like we would like to keep. I want to keep any Aluko. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not not aggressively. Um, but yeah, so... Not a creepy way. Well, maybe, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, Angel City FC. Uh, as I've said, I just redid the data for MLS and NWSL in terms of Latino... Um, black and women's representation. Uh, we can talk about it a little more later, but good news is that, you know, first black GM, as far as I know, um, and have known in NWSL, Anya Luko. Woo! Um, as far as I can tell, real first black woman executive. Um, looking back, though that data is hard to find because for said, for mentioned reasons about screwing over women's sports. And, yeah. um, and we've seen a huge increase. So whatever this crisis brings, it has brought a huge increase in women head coaches. And that's pretty phenomenal. Um, I don't know why MLS hasn't taken the same stance towards women head coaches. You, you know, don't? Same, same sport. <laughs> the same, same sport. Same sport. But the last time I did the data, there was like, I don't know, six British white men, one Dutch white man. Um, yeah. Uh, one woman and something else. And now we have a bunch. Uh, so that's, that's pretty awesome. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Mira, what keeps you going? Yeah, uh, Black Women's Players Collective. Woo! For sure. Um, you know. Uh, I'm especially inspired by the work that they've been putting in alongside Black Players for Change um, because a lot of what they are doing is also moving structurally. Um, so things like the Mini Pitch Initiative, right, that, that is talking about access um, to the game and, and saying how can we actually get people onto pitches and set those up in places that have been inaccessible. Um, but also, I mean, they have a multi-approach uh, to, to solving it. So it's about amplifying their voices, their stories, talking about structural initiatives and visions, um, and also the way they're moving just in terms of collective uh, building, um, both vertically and horizontally across other organizations and then with folks um, in sport is absolutely a blueprint moving forward. And, and I continue to support and be inspired by the work um, that they're doing over there. Absolutely. And, you know, on that note, for me, it's this, the solidarity we're seeing and the labor solidarity, um, you know, finally really making strides towards getting a CBA, these players, um, you know, we're 10 years into this and, you know, there's talk of a work stoppage if they don't get the CBA. And I think that's something we obviously support. I think what we've seen in Brenda's work and Amira's work shows us so much uh, is just like the only way forward for women's sports, and I'm sure for men's sports too, but I don't care as much about that, uh, is uh, it's labor solidarity, right? It's players enacting their own power, and I think yeah. the way... Labor history. Huh? Labor history. <laughs> We're like, yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, like that. that's it. Like, that's it. Um, and I also, it is, it is cool to see some... The, the interest is someone, I cover a lot of WNBA and there's been, you know, there hasn't been expansion in that league in so long. And so seeing these new owners come in to the NWSL and bring this excitement um, and get this, you know, have this expansion. And I think it's a really good sign. I mean, I think what Angel City's done with bringing in people from outside of the sports world, um, but who are passionate um, about 
you know, about the sport, about women, about diversity. I think that's really important. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. Because one thing, like, we always talk about in women's sports is, like, what is the ideal ownership structure? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, what even does that look like? You know, I was, a lot of times, um, you know, we talked about people own, you know, these women's sports teams and in the WSL, and they don't really prioritize them, you know, at all. Like, they don't care about them. I mean, one of the most famous examples is what, you know, the, what used to be before the fan groups and the players spoke out. You know, Phil Murphy was doing um, when it was Sky Blue, right? You know, very much like the ultimate father of daughters uh, statement, you know, saying, I bought this team because I care about women, but, oh, they don't even place a shower. You know, they don't like their, they're taking ice baths and trash cans. Right, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you don't get your brownie points for that. But what's really bothered me is like hearing that these owners aren't even showing up to these CBA negotiations. And I think that's, to me, the scariest part. You know, I talked with the president of the Players Association, interviewed her for the podcast last year, and I think we were the first to kind of report that they would go, have 100 players show up to these meetings and no owners. And I think a lot of times I'm wondering, are these the joint owners, right? Are these the owners that own MLS teams or own European teams and then just have their women's team as, like, their side you know, their, their side charity project, right? And don't really care about it. And I know Amira has, I mean, Brenda, well, and Amira, everyone here, uh, but we've got some thoughts on kind of this joint ownership structure model and whether, what are the pros and cons of that? Yeah, I, as I said earlier this morning, in my ideal world, it works like a member-owned club, right? Mm. I love that. I love that they vote on, you know, things like the general manager and things, and you don't have to trust one private owner to make the right decision for your club. But since we don't have that, <laughs> I'm really interested in how people, and I hope we can talk later and we can hear from you and we'll have time, about how the co-ownership works in terms of have we seen it benefit the women's teams if they're attached to the men's teams like i can tell you that that has not worked in south america that santos has not done anything for the women's team and in fact they just use it to be able to participate in their regional club championship because you have to basically because someone once upon a time put a rule in there and all the men's clubs were like what and then they got on board so, um, so I'm interested in that, you know, and interested in what happens with Leipzig, you know, and, and Red Bulls and stuff like that, and the difference between them, because what I have seen is the change in NWSL, and I hate to repeat myself, but it's not my fault, I'm a broken record because somebody's breaking the record, or <laughs> is, is that MLS has really bad numbers, terrible representation um, in terms of, you know, every level of executives. And when you start to say, well, then MLS is going to own part of an NWSL team, that gives me kind of a creepy, bad, gross feeling, right? right? Because I don't feel that that NWSL team is going to be able to come in and say, no, you should do it like we do it, right. but instead like they do it. So I guess that's where I'm, I've 
I'm feeling really kind of conflicted. Yeah. Well, because I think what, what you're hitting on, and this is really important, is that oftentimes when we're talking about this, we're talking about things, whether it's governance structure or media deals or whatever, what we're seeing in women's sports is by necessity, they've had to be gritty, they've had to be inventive, and they don't have to replicate the models that traditional sporting spaces have because as we know, we spent, if you listen at all to any of our podcasts, there is no shortage of fuckery in those spaces as well. Right. And I think that Brenda always, you know, if, if you haven't read Brenda and Josh's book, Football Era, please check it out. It's a wonderful history of, of uh, soccer in, in Latin American women's participation. But one of the things that Brenda always reminds us of, what does feminist football actually look like? It's not necessarily just a copy and paste thing. And so when we're talking about this and we're talking about uh, when you're talking about those owners, uh, Lindsay, clinging to this like idea of power is because it is just copying and pasting a model of, of getting that. And I think what is much harder is saying, what if we actually ask questions and, and have new things and make sports work for everybody better, work for the players better, work for the fans better. And those are the, the questions that get more resistance. And so what we're seeing in many ways is the NWSL is leading in, in a lot of areas that we give a damn about. And so, the, but the people who have the resources still tend to be on the men's side. So when we're talking about these co-ownership structures, that ambivalence is like, well, yeah, you're bringing money to the table, but not necessarily ideas that I want to replicate, you know. Totally, and it's often NFL intel that they're bringing right. to the table. Right. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't think I need Is that to... something in your throat, Brenda? I What's happening? Yeah. I, I cough during I, COVID. Oh, so. oh sorry. <laughs> Don Garber, fine. Um, you know, but not only him. Um, there's a ton of executives and owners that are bringing the intel right. straight from the NFL. And is that something that with this type of a progressive supporter culture in the U.S. and these possibilities, right. you know, stars that are out, things that haven't happened in other countries, right. is that the type of mentality that you want to govern your football, your soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, like I said, I mean, I always just kind of relate things back to the WNBA, which when it was founded, you had to be, the only people allowed to be owners of WNBA teams were, you had to have an NBA team. Like that was, that was how it worked. And it took about five, six years for them to move to allowing more independent ownership. The first group was in Connecticut, which makes sense because um, UConn and, you know, there's such a supporters, um, such rabid support. But you're still seeing this tension between, um, you know, their teams like the Indiana Fever who are in the team spiraling and there's zero urgency from the owners there. They really don't care. Um, my friend Howard Megdal wrote a great piece of this over at his newsletter, The Nine, uh, just about like how like when the Indiana Pacers, who they also co-own, like were on a big losing streak this season. They held this press conference. They were like, we'll get this team right. We'll get back to winning. Whereas like the Fever had been in free fall for years. They just, you know, got rid of their... Um, another first round draft pick after one year, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're wait, they're, and I hate to say it because the two people, the two women who are leading the team to make a catchings as general, general manager and Marianne Stanley as the head coach, like these are legends of the game, but are they getting the support from the leadership and where's the urgency? Because honestly, if, you know, we, we don't want to blindly let women stay in their jobs if they're not doing right either, do you know what I mean? Like that's not progress. 
<laughs> that you know, I, I get that you know that there's a joke that that could be progress if we're enabling women to be as bad as men, but like at the job, but but you know, like we we it it, it it's it puts things in a in a shitty position. And in the same time, I've seen so many teams in the NWSL and the WNBA who are independently owned who can't keep up. You know, whether it be the ticket sales department, whether it be you know just the infrastructure, just the staffing can't keep up with these teams that are co-owned by MLS or, um, you know, now we've got Mark Davis in the WNBA, so, you know, the NFL teams. And I think it's a real conundrum. I think it's a place that we've always seen women's sports struggle with. Like, do we build it on our own from a grassroots level or do we get, you know, use the support from the, the men's side and the money and the patriarchy, but also deal with the strings that come attached to that? And... I don't know. That, I wish there was one clear right answer. Like, I wish, I want to be able to say, yes, like, leave leave the patriarchy behind completely. Like, you know, fuck it. But I don't know if that's right. Because, you know, you, you, you do see, like, what Mark Davis is, is building for Las Vegas now. Like, he just committed to getting, like, practice facilities for the players and building all these, like, state-of-the-art things. And so I think... You know, there has to be a way where it's not just owning the team, it's not just letting it slide, but if you want to bring in your billions, if you want to bring in that stuff, make it a prize, right? Like, treat it like the prize it is. But I don't know, I don't know. I'm very conflicted on this, always. Um, I, let's start, you know, we say we have a lot of questions, but we don't always have as many answers, but we're gonna try and say, like, point out now some concrete things that we'd like to see from the NWSL that we think could, you know, move things in the right direction. Ha <laughs> 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 Look how they both just looked at me like, that was so cute. Let's turn um, to our optimist, Brenda. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Rose-colored glasses. Rose City-colored glasses. Oh. Um, ha, ha, ha. Uh, here's the thing. Um, I'm a, I would go straight for the federation level of this mm. conversation. Um, there's not an independence between the NWSL, really MLS and US Soccer Federation. Um, and that's a real problem. I know that they supposedly ended their financial relationship, MLS and US Soccer, but um, you know, for a long time they've been paying MLS, sorry, to run, that's see, I'm like upset already. So they've been paying to run their tournaments you know this right people know this okay so that's not normal governance that's not regular like so for example if a player has to report man or woman or whichever whatever gender has to report something they have nowhere to really go anyway because it's like asking you to like them to tell on themselves right so the problem is if you don't have independence at the federation level this has to do with financial transparency. This has to be, do with player abuse. Then, then it's a mess. And I don't know any other country whose soccer runs like this. Do you know what I mean? Like the federation is supposed to be in charge, not beholden mm. to the professional league. And what we have is a federation, and there's many good people in it, and many good people trying to make changes in it. So I'm not, but the structure itself, I think, is super fucked up. Basically, and and I and I think it's weird that FIFA hasn't come in. Um, and I think when you have corruption and you have these types of things, then you're more likely to let things like toxic culture go without accountability. So I think those things are connected. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that fun? Aren't yeah. I fun at parties? Yeah. <laughs> and you had a point She's literally always like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, I had a point. Yeah, Amir was saying there was one more point. This one, it will help point. us transition to yeah, the next point. Well, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Transition. Um, is also just, you know, they also changes I want to see, like, get to know your fucking fan base. So, like, one thing that drives me crazy and drove WPS into the ground was trying to market it to exclusively heterosexual yeah. soccer moms. You yeah. know, presumably white and very middle class. And then they were like, oh, wait, that's not who was going to women's soccer <laughs> games back then. So, you know, I feel like there's been just little effort in trying to imagine the communities that they're supposed to be serving. Mm. Absolutely. You know that better than me. <laughs> yeah, and along those lines, I mean, I think that Brenda is definitely starting kind of at the top. And for me, it also goes hand in hand with thinking about the youth game and youth systems and the community there. I know that one of the things that we see is this huge disconnect between the richness of supporter culture um, at the professional level and how that comes to be. Um, it's been really great now that Austin has a you know, football club to take, be able to take you know, kids to the stadium. If, maybe they have a game before eight. I mean, my kids are insomniac, so they're fucking there. But like 8 p.m. every game, right? But the point is that <laughs> a lot of times the feeder system into even loving this game is so closed off. And so when we talk about the youth system, we talk about eradicating pay for play. We talk about yes. opening up access to these games earlier. Um, yeah. So that you can develop culture, because one of the things that happens is it invites more people into the game. We talk about inclusivity, right? But we have to plant those seeds somewhere. So what happens if we really think about what's going on at the youth level and think about that as a giant feeder system to bringing more voices to the table so that people come with new ideas and people who have grown up with a love for the game, knowing something different, imagining something different. Um, because all the time we get into a big room with our big old aged self and, you know, we got here through our own pathways and we should continue to open that up. And that requires thinking really critically and concretely about the youth system and not as an afterthought, but as part and parcel of all these other conversations. Absolutely. Friend? Uh, isn't this more fun than the Cooligans? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yes! I feel like they'd respect that burn. They... No, I made my point earlier. Oh, okay. <laughs> fine, fine. I, you know, coming at this from a media perspective as a journalist, like the big thing I want to see is like doing. Can we treat media like like the right investment? Like, let's get actually fucking cameras out there, <laughs> like like multi cameras. I mean, it is still wild to me, like the the difference in visuals between like some of these men's games that I watch versus the women's games. Like, you don't realize how bad the women's games look until you see like the men. You're like, oh, I see their like sweat. The camera angle. I see their sweat. I could barely see her ponytail. Like, <laughs> what is like happening here? And you know, just like make this a like prioritize media and I in prioritize getting promoting your players promote prioritize uplifting their voices and a diverse set of voices right I love Megan Rapinoe as much as anyone but she shouldn't be the face of the league anymore right and I think she would probably say that too like done you know like yeah. Mitch Purse yeah. like get her out there everything um 
And, and you know, I just want to see more competence. It sometimes feels like the people running this don't even know what they have, right? Like they don't even know who these players are, what these, what, what their fan base is. Like they just kind of sit up and it's all based on like one market research study from the year 2000. <laughs> like about I mean, like, like they're like, oh, that's when, remember when they were like, oh, we're going to put uh, it on Lifetime because that's what women watch. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I sit down and I'm like, where I want to find a soccer game. My first choice is not like Lifetime. That's where it's on. Yeah, th that, that deal did not last long. That did, that did not, not go that well. That did not last long. Julia Roberts taking the soccer ball was not, <laughs> <laughs> turned out to like not all of a sudden make everybody in the world a women's soccer fan, which like l also love Julia Roberts, but like is that the most modern like actress like you could find? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's Lifetime, so the answer is yes. Like that is like the, the biggest star they knew. Um, you know, I also just want to say, like, it is so, these investigations that are happening right now, like, this U.S., there's this big U.S. soccer investigation going in. Like, we've had these survivors, um, you know, Manashim come forward, um, McCullough, Kayla McCullough, Kaya McCullough. Um, and, and we've had these stories told, and we've had journalists doing phenomenal, phenomenal work, what Molly Hensley Clancy and... Um, of course, Meg Linehan have done um, for women's soccer what they're reporting and what their institutions have done by supporting them and not reporting. I mean, I think it, that's also the way forward. Um, but you've got to be transparent. You have, like, this, this, this investigation that Sally Yates is doing or whatever into what's been going on at U.S. Soccer, that needs to be released in full because there is so much power in that. We've recently seen in the, I don't know if, like, you all followed with the NCAA last year at the women's basketball tournament when there were the weight rooms, I don't know, the, or the weight rack and then the weight room yeah. <laughs> and, and all the outrage that that um that you know brought about and then NCAA had this you know they hired investigators and they released that report in full which I never give the NCAA credit for anything this is the one only one thing I will say is like that report was released in full I've been doing series on it I could literally write about nothing but the right. findings from that report for two years because it is a it is a line by line of receipts for the way that women's sports have been devalued yeah. from a sponsorship level, from a, a t television level, from, you know, I mean, th the whole system just rewards right. literally investing in men's yeah. sports. And it's, it's going to be slow change, but it's promoting change. Like right. they finally realized, oh, we can call the women's basketball. They can use Final Four. Oh, they can use March Madness. Oh, a Twitter account just for the women that we run. Oh, I guess we could right. do that. And the, and the thing about it is like, we, I mean, we work on this and we were surprised by this report. I mean, that, I just want to say that again. We like literally all in various ways specialize in the atrocities of sport and we're surprised by what was in this report because that's how much is buried there, right? So when we're talking about transparency, it's because as much as terrible as we think it is, it's usually way worse. <laughs> yeah, way worse. And, and but I like that's, it's actually created change and that's because it was released in full. And so like my biggest thing, the only way I think I will know if anyone up in leadership is at all serious about making things better, I think the only, like, well, there's a lot of other things that's, I'm very much lying, but <laughs> the biggest thing is, are you going to fully release this investigation? Are you going to fully release these findings um, and make them public? Um, or, or how redacted and are you going to be? Because the lack of transparency right now, it, it's, no, like this is not acceptable in any fucking way. 
Amira, what, what, what's, the, what's the final thing we really want to yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, uh, fans <laughs> need more seat at the table. And it can't be like, Woo! I'm inviting you to the table and then you didn't you know, like what I was serving you, so I'm pulling your chair out and kicking you out of my house, you know, with these bullshit statements. They have to be actual, real, um, not just at the table, but like with the recipe, with the ingredients, making the meal too. Um, when we talk about uh, sports culture in general, we talk about all these prongs. Athletes, we talk about fans and supporters groups, we talk about leadership, et cetera, we talk about media. And really what we push for and what we see is when, when people work collectively across that is when we actually see change. Um, and what we're seeing now is that there has been uh, wonderful efforts, right, on the ground, grassroots efforts from supporter groups, from fans, um, and we see leadership run from that. <laughs> um, and so that needs to continue to be in place. It needs to be fortified, um, and it continues to, um, you know, be, be what we take going forward as we continue to build um, this game up. Yes! Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, for our interview this week, which will air on Thursday, Amir talks with Jess Weiner, the host of the new podcast, Dominant Stories, about her involvement in Dove's Real Beauty campaign, Mattel's inclusive Barbie line, and how we challenge and shift the dominant stories we tell about fitness, bodies, and beauty. I cannot wait to listen to that. Um, now it's time for our favorite part, and we're going to need some help from you all in this part, okay? It's the burn pile. Uh, let's practice at the end of each uh, member. We're going to need help burning. So on the count of three, I want everyone to shout, burn, okay? One, two, three, burn! burn! Oh, really oh that feels good. <laughs> Isn't it fun to yell? It's so fun. Uh, <laughs> Brenda, get us started. All right. Um, there's so much to burn, but I've really fixed my sights on... <laughs> Everyone who hasn't done shit for the Africa Cup of Nations, which is so exciting. I am so disgusted by the ways in which the common tourists are even 
talking about it. It's like everybody's compared to something in England and by the way they play in England. So it's like it's like that that was a first class goal. That could have been a goal for Chelsea. Because he fucking plays for Chelsea. Exactly. Babe. Like oh my God. <laughs> so it's like so it's like what? It's absurd. What's happening? So so I watched this I watched this tournament. I watched this tournament. And do you think I can go to mainstream sports channels and by channels I mean broadly like newspapers and whatnot to read about the said tournament no I can't because they don't care because it's taking place in Africa (sighs) where there are dozens and dozens of nations that have sent their greatest talents to Europe and yet it's simply too much to ask for some real ass coverage and it is fantastic I mean Senegal missing 11 players there's drama 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 all over the place terrible calls the worst officiating I've seen this should be your bread and butter people and instead (laughs) instead in the New York Times there's a beautiful op-ed by Sean Jacobs who if you want to follow anybody on this is tremendous and has a great primer on it and guess how much he got paid for that nothing nothing because that's what they do. They wait mm. for somebody with real expertise who cares enough to do that shit for free for them. So I want to burn um, that whole thing. So right. I'm going to say burn, and then you're going to, mm, right? Ready? Burn. Burn. Woo, oh, I get chills. <laughs> All right. I gave the NCAA credit, and now it's time for me to immediately toss it on the burn pile. <laughs> I lasted about one minute. That's as much credit <laughs> they ever can get. <laughs> and that's a record for me saying anything positive about the NCAA. So this week, the NCAA suddenly announced sweeping changes to its trans inclusion guidelines. Um, I'm going to read from Athlete Ally here because there's just so much here. I want to make sure we're getting it right. So this announcement states that the NCAA will align with the newest guidelines for transgender participation as outlined by the IOC, which, you know, the, the standard barriers for, uh, for inclusion um, uh, we've got here. But the NCAA, so this, they will now follow a sport-by-sport model, allowing each sport essentially to individually decide its, uh, its guidelines for trans inclusion. What could possibly go wrong? Um, they, their release uh, points to the IOC guidelines, but uh, of course it deviates significantly from them by including zero safeguards against harmful uh, and invasive procedures um, or treatments, such as you know, mandatory surgeries or visual inspection of athletes' genitalia. There's also no mention of how to work with the NGBs, the non- uh, national governing bodies, to recognize and prevent harm. And it continues to place the burden on college-age athletes to prove they do not have an unfair advantage simply because of who they are. Um, It does not comply with the World Professional Association for Transgender Health's most recent standards for care and indicates no direct stakeholder engagement from transgender and non-binary athletes themselves. This, of course, all comes on the heels of uh, Leah Thomas, the swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, um, having a lot of success in um, swimming. She's a trans woman who has followed the NCAA's 2011 guidelines. Conservative media has picked up on her story, and um, I think it's absolutely 
absolutely no coincidence that after having the same guidelines for 10 years, suddenly under the dark of night with zero consultation to experts, the NCAA swiftly changes this. And the context of this larger is that these bills um, against banning transgender children from competing in athletics and tar taking away health care from transgender children and adults continue to sweep the nation. They're right now actively, and we will in the show notes of this episode um, and on Twitter have links to how you can help fight these, because right now these bills are getting through legislations in Arizona, Indiana, and South Dakota. Um, it's, we're at a crisis point, and the NCAA's decision was to try and pass the ball. So this one's going to feel good. Burn! 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 Amir? Yeah. Um, as some of you may know, uh, we have a podcast coming out on February 21st um, called American Prodigies, which is the third season of the show. And I'll be hosting this season on Woo. black gymnasts. Woo. Um, and so uh, I'm thinking about gymnastics a lot. And this week we saw an incident um, that reminds us why we wanted to get the voices of black gymnasts front and center in the first place. So come with me, if you will, on a journey over to UCLA Gymnastics. You might be familiar with UCLA Gymnastics because every year, yes, they're A, dominant, and B, go viral with uh, beautiful routines. Uh, this is a different type of story about UCLA Gymnastics. Um, this is a story about somebody who used to be on the US, uh, UCLA Gymnastics program named Alexis Jeffries. Uh, she took quite a lot of pleasure in saying many different slurs to her black and Asian teammates repeatedly without consequence. When those teammates reported her to their coaches, um, they were uh, told to go easy on her. When they repeatedly said she was making them feel unsafe, she kept calling them the N-word, she kept repeating it, and she didn't care when they told her not to, they said, well, please... We just breaking news in the middle of the podcast. Yes. Don't you feel like we did that somehow? Yes. Absolutely. They heard us. Oh man, that's that the happiest we've news. ever been during the burn pile. That is great, <laughs> that is great news. All right, we're we're gonna keep going, but uh, we'll be celebrating with you all later. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. That is really good news. This is not, however. Yeah. Um, so as uh, so the 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 next time they went and said, "Hey, by the way, she's still still saying these slurs," uh, they were told um, not just to ignore her, but actually to make sure they were continuing to be nice to her because she was feeling ostracized and attacked by them insisting that she not call them slurs. Okay. Um, because she threatened uh, to harm herself if she continued to be called out for this, uh, the coaching staff put the burden on the effective gymnast to literally be nice to her because they were worried about oh my God. This, this girl. They were worried about the aggressor in the situation. Um, they asked her to stop doing it, and she wouldn't do it, and she was so scared of... Uh, Accountability. She actually entered the transfer portal and is now a LSU gymnast. In the meantime, 
they have continued to trample on this story. They told the gymnast they can't talk about it. They don't want reporting on it. At this point, they won't even take a meeting. The gymnasts have taken to Twitter to at their athletic director. Think about that. They are on Twitter tagging their athletic director because they won't have a meeting with them. They won't talk about it. They just want it to go away. If you were on Twitter and seeing this exchange, you might notice that it comes on the heels of their Black Lives Matter meet in Minnesota last week in which they were wearing UCLA shirts that they were made to wear and pose with that said, injustice everywhere is a threat to justice anywhere. I don't know where you think you're looking for injustice, but it's happening in your own damn gym. It's in Polly if you're looking for injustice. Mm. It's in the fact and this assumption, right, that mental health concerns are only on the tears of a white gymnast who can't fix her mouth to stop saying slurs. Like, this is not a gargantuan task that they're asking for here. <laughs> and I want to be clear about one thing. Because the presumption I even saw in replies to this that said even in this moment, right, that they were really worried about this gymnast who's now transferred. They were worried about her mental health. And I understand that. Mental health is a real concern. But there's never any worry spared to those who are actually the victims of this aggressive racial abuse. Like, that's what it is. And that actually takes a mental fucking toll, too. You don't believe yes. me? Listen to the voices of the black gymnasts who are telling you that hurts. That's harmful. I cannot compete and labor under these conditions. But that doesn't seem to matter as much as somebody being able to just slur people with impunity and run away at the first sign of accountability, which, by the way, isn't coming because those people in, in, in structures of power would rather just have it go away than actually deal with the issue while they're trouting out their black gymnasts to get all the viral clicks for the school that deems to be the most progressive school in gymnastics. Ha, it's a fucking joke and burn it all down. Burn! Woo! All right. You okay? Yeah. I love that you're also, you have a mic stand and you're holding your mic. I, it's I my am. Favorite. I am. I am. <laughs> Death grip. That okay. Fucked up, man. All right. We got some torchbearers. After all that burning, it's time to lift up some people who are really inspiring us. Michelle King was, our torch, was one of our torchbearers last week, but of course, she's got the team. Woo! Another, another shout out to her, um, Amira. You want to? We want to start off with a little, um, you know, honoring someone who passed this week. Who absolutely uh, huge impact on women's sports. Huge loss. Um, Lucy Harris has gone to be with the ancestors, the girl who went from the Mississippi Delta to become the first black woman and the first women's college basketball player in the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. Over the course of the 70s, brought three championships to Delta State, was the modern dominant center, and absolutely is a name that we should all know. It was yet another week of watching people get their flowers too little too late. I do hope this renewed interest will help uh, change the gym at Delta State uh, uh, in, in her name, especially because right now it's named for a really racist dude. Um, oh, minor details. <laughs> minor details. But so many are. <laughs> but more importantly, um, Lucy Harris is absolutely uh, somebody who changed the game of women's basketball and is just one of the many great black women athletes that we have lost and then remembered after their passing. Um, and so I want to start our torchbearer section, which she absolutely was in life, by remembering her life, by treating her memory as a blessing, and by lifting her up. Uh, easy, easy travels, Lucy. Absolutely. Brenda, what's our trend of the week? Women athletes getting hired as coaches. Woo! Woo! 
Yes. This week, we had the phenomenal Michelle Akers return to the soccer world as an assistant coach of the Orlando Pride. Look at that. That was exciting. And in the WNBA, half of the teams are now coached by former WNBA players with the announcement that the Phoenix Mercury have hired Vanessa Nygaard as head coach. Yes. Amira, who are, who's our strong woman of the week? Um, that would be Christina Medina, who was hired by the Padres as the strength and conditioning coach for their Dominican Academy. Um, the Mexican is the second Latina hired by MLB team to serve as an SNC coach. She follows uh, the Giants, um, Andrea Nunez, who made history when the Angels hired her two years ago. So shout out to you, Christina, and all the strength and conditioning. Yes. Our investors of the week is the Board of Governors at the Premier Hockey Federation, a women's professional hockey league, who announced that it has made a commitment of more than $25 million in direct payments and benefits to players over the next three years. This commitment includes expansion to two markets and $7.5 million in salary and benefits for the 22-23 season. We love to see it. (laughs) Yes! Bren, who's our boss of the week? It is Alexandra Bernardo, who was just named Minister of Sports in Chile by the new president, Gabriel Boric. If you haven't paid attention to what's happening in Chile, do. It's heartwarming. It's inspiring, etc. She is a gay rights activist and former women's national player for Chile. She will also oversee the 2023 Pan American and Para Pan American. That's so. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of P's, but Para Pan You Para. Pan American Games. Unfortunately, go. I can't edit it out like I can at home, you know, so you all heard that. So just pretend I said it perfectly. Um, and she is also the first openly lesbian minister in Chile. Yes. All right. Our triple double of the week is Caitlin Clark, an Iowa basketball player. On Thursday, she had 35 points of 13 rebounds and 11 assists in Iowa's complete destruction of Minnesota, 105 to 49. It was... (laughs) If you didn't hear that, it was oof. (laughs) Um... It was her second straight game with a 30-point triple-double. She's the only player, male or men's basketball, women's basketball, in NCAA history to have two straight 30-point triple-double games. That's a lot. It's absurd. It's absurd. Amira, who are our journalists of the week? Yeah, that would be our own Jessica Luther and Dan Solomon, who just released for Texas Monthly... uh, heartbreaking, stirring, and necessary report. Uh, They talked to 19 survivors of of abuse looking at gymnastics. Um, It has been a journey for them to get this piece to see the light of day. Please check it out. And for their tireless and continued effort to write about and investigate institutions and people that do harm, we want to shout out and hold space for Jess and Dan. Absolutely. And now... Once again, I need some audience participation. Can I get a drum roll, please? Our torchbearers of the week is you! I cannot tell you, as someone who did not grow up in soccer culture, who doesn't know soccer culture, to be around... No other sport has, like the, has it like this. To be around supporters of teams who want to organize and make things better... 
or it's the only way forward that along with solidarity um, amongst players and I'm so inspired to be here we are so grateful to be here to be having these conversations and it's just great to be around people who love sports but want them to be better so thank you all all right we we usually do a what's good segment here but I'm pretty sure it's just this <laughs> it's, it's being here with all of you. It's, it's just being here with all of you um, live in Portland. Um, we do want to take a minute, though. Uh, it's a, it's a, is one of our co-hosts would say it's a holiday. It is the birthday for our very own Shireen Ahmed, who is in Canada, so couldn't make it down here um, with all the travel and COVID stuff. But we thought we'd want to end by maybe singing her happy birthday. Would you all uh, be willing to uh, sing a little happy birthday? Yeah. All right. Huh? Okay. No, I want to hear it on the podcast live. For her to know. You don't want it to be a secret? Okay. No. I want her to hear it on the podcast. Okay. Don't call it. Oh. Okay, bye. <laughs> oh, my God. Just do it. Okay. Hey, cover your head. Cover your head. No. Okay, go. Okay. okay. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Shireen. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Woo! We love you, Shireen. Look, say, you can, they can hear you say one thing quickly. Thank you so much. Oh. She's crying. Okay, love you. Call you later. <laughs> We're busy. Bye. <laughs> She's quite a crier. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have all day. <laughs> Thank you all for that. We will. I, I know we've been talking for a while. We're, we're wrapping up here. We will. If, if you if there are any questions, if you want to do a Q and A, we've got we've got the mic. We've got the time for that. But I know everyone wants a drink and wants to celebrate as well. So we'll fig we'll figure out the best balance for it. But we want to just thank everyone um, for having us here. That's all for this week's episode of Burn It All Down. Uh, our producer is Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. For this episode, we have to give a specific and special thanks to the ISC, to Bailey Drew, and the Western Stages Center, um, and to all of you for being here and listening to us um, you can follow our show on Burn It All Down. Once again, it's the name on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, listen, subscribe, rate on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all the all the things. Um, our website, uh, burnitalldownpod.com, has show links and transcripts and a link to our merch store. And I believe Amira has stickers. No, I don't have that many though. Okay, ask a question, get a sticker, something. Like that. <laughs> all right. <laughs> When you said, I have stickers for everybody, <laughs> that was I very misleading <laughs> in my defense. <laughs> I feel like, okay, anyways. for a healthy amount of Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we, so we, we will have some stickers here, but you can order them on our merch store, Bonfire. And we are supported by Patreon. Um, so thank you to our patrons. Your support means the world, and you can keep... Keep our podcast going. Um, if you go to uh, patreon.com slash burn it all down, 
I think it's like $2 a month to be like a sustaining donor to the, the show and get, get access to some extra segments. Um, and watch parties, and we'll probably, we might put this Q&A up there, I don't know, we, we're still figuring it out. Um, but thank you all so, so much. Did I say we're a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network? You did. Okay, I don't remember. Um, I'm, I'm done. Burn on, but not out. Thank you!